And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Talked on different occasions about the nature of leprosy. Its full-blown form is a devastating disease. In our current day, there are means of treating things along the way, but in the ancient world, it was really a sentence of death and um, isolation from the community. We get clear directions given in the law back in Leviticus 13 about how things are to be dealt with if there appear to be the beginning of, of scabs that are growing on someone's hand or on parts of the body, how they're to be examined, how they're to be watched. What are the signs that this is, in fact, a leprosy that leads to, because of the contagion, the separation from the community? It's a disease that affects the body, and the long-term consequences can be severe. But because it separates from family, from community, it's also a, a social affliction. Leads to that isolation, although you've got the strangeness of the coming together in that isolation of those who wouldn't have gotten along otherwise. And so we hear about the Samaritan who's in the midst of the Jews. But it's also spiritual affliction because it, beyond making one angry with God, as a lot of suffering does, it separates one from temple, from synagogue, from the opportunities to come and make the offering of worship. I've commented different times that you know, the terms that get used in Old and New Testament for leprosy can be used to refer to various degrees of skin afflictions. And I kind of wonder about Naaman. I have no idea what the Syrians did with the lepers. But Naaman does not appear to be separated from his community and from his troops. He's still leading into battle. He has servants with him who travel with him. So is it a lesser affliction or are they less aware of the contagion and less concerned about it? Every appearance, though, is that the ten men in our story are those who are very much afflicted, who have been cut off. They do what the law prescribes. They stay at a distance, doubtless covering the upper lip and crying out, unclean, unclean. They cry out to Jesus from a distance, and his response is intriguing. He doesn't beckon them near There's the one leper who comes to him and he reaches out and touches. No, he doesn't draw them near. He doesn't pronounce the healing. He simply says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Well, in order to be readmitted to the community, when there is healing, they need to be certified as cleansed by the priest. But why would they go? Nothing's changed. And there's no indication that when he speaks that word, that anything changes right away. They have to take that first step of faith and begin on the way, because the language is, as they went, they were cleansed. There's the first healing word that comes up. Cleanse, katharitso, katharos, that word for, for being clean or pure. Anybody who bears the name Catherine should understand that of the name from the Greek. But they're cleansed. That that means that now they are 
the, the sores are disappearing. So they're going with an expectation that they can be certified clean and return to the community. We're told that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, but presumably they were all noticing and there was great excitement as they hurried on the way. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, I am I. Another one of the healing words that has to do with, with healing of some kind of affliction. There's another word that will sound more familiar to us, a therapeuo, another verb that's used for the healing. Often when Jesus is healing those who come to him, that's the word that's used. But the physical healing is there, so we're overcoming the barriers, the, the isolation from the community, the, the affliction in the body. But on they go on their way, but this one, when he sees that happening, there's something else that breaks through in him. A sense, perhaps, that another barrier is removed. And he returns to Jesus. He praises God and he falls before the Lord, giving him thanks. And Jesus makes the response, saying, well, okay, were were there not ten of you? We're not ten cleansed. He knew what was going on in them. Why is there only one who's returned? And the the little sideline, well, why is it? It's only this foreigner. Well, he's not foreigner in the sense of from a whole other land. He's probably local. Jesus is there between Israel and, and Samaria. And it's Samaria that used to be where the kingdom of Israel was and when Israel was removed as a kingdom from the land, it was kind of resettled. You've got a mixture of people who are there, a mixture of races, those who have common ancestry to the Jews, but a mixing of the same, and their faith gets mixed up. They've built their own rival temple on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews and the Samaritans are at odds with each other. But he's this one who's an outsider. How is it that he's come? There's an echo. We're in chapter 17, back in chapter 15. There was that parable of the the prodigal son. You remember things with the two brothers there. That the older brother who was around the household kind of took for granted what was there. He too was heir to all that the father had, but he availed himself of, of none of it, really. The younger brother who actually went away, who cut himself off, came to his senses, came to himself, and returned home, and he was overwhelmed by the grace. Here's the Samaritan who has no part in all of this, and yet is touched by Jesus, and his heart opens to the true God of Israel, to the Savior who is there, and he returns and gives thanks. Worth following Naaman and what goes on with him. Do you notice in him that he too is healed of the bodily affliction? We're not hearing about him being isolated otherwise. He too is an outsider. He too had no part in Israel. What does he know about Israel's faith? He's come there because of a a maid, someone carried off in a raid. There's a fascinating story. We were reflecting on this story a, a number of weeks back in evening prayer when it came up in a fuller form. Naaman has this strange humility about him. He's a great commander. And yet, he goes to Israel because of the word of this little slave girl in the midst, who strangely cares enough about him 
that she longs for him to be able to go and get healing. And he does go. And when the prophet doesn't prove to be a great magical healer like he might have been expecting, he's miffed and he starts to go away. But again, there's a strange humility because he has servants who say, well, master, master, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. But he's asking something simple. Just go and dip in the water seven times. And Naaman actually listens to his servants. They too care enough about him. It says something of his character, but he's an outsider of Israel. He obeys the word. He sees the healing. He does not, like the other nine, just go on his way. No, he's got to return thanks. He comes back praising God, giving thanks to Elisha. And even when the prophet says, no, I can't accept any gifts, he says, well, look, I know now that there is no God but in Israel. Please, could you give me two mules loads of earth? I don't know if any of you know what a mules load of earth is. Um, I'm even puzzled when they're selling you a yard of topsoil. I'm not sure. Sure, until I see it, how much that is. How much does a mule carry? But he's actually determined that he will not worship on anything but the soil of that holy land. He's not going to sacrifice. He's not going to worship any other god. There's that spiritual work in him. In him, it's not so much a return to God, perhaps as a conversion to who the true God is. But back to the Lord comes this man, this Samaritan. And when he lays himself before Jesus, the Lord says to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. We talked about the language that's here before. This is what always fascinates me in the story. Okay, all of them have been healed by their faith, taking Jesus at his word and going. But there's something more that happens for this man. I mentioned the other healing words, but here the verb that is used is so-so. Your faith has, well, made you whole, but it's literally has saved you. It's the same word that is used when we hear that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which one must be saved than the name of Jesus. There's something more that's here, like Naaman coming back. He doesn't just receive the healing. He doesn't treat Elijah and the God of Elisha as simply the healing dispensers, but he actually turns in worship. This man has not just received the gift from God, but comes to give himself in return. A real offering of thanksgiving. And Jesus says, there's something more that's happened to you. It's got to do with that relationship with him. It's got to do with not just trusting the word of Jesus, but trusting the one who is the word. There's another um, another bit of the Gospels that comes to mind when I think of this. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of those who in that day, the day of the Lord will be in some trouble. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Now you remember that the response he said will come from those who called upon his name, who supposedly trusted in him. Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do these mighty works? They're not people who had no faith. They're not people who didn't see wonders, but he's actually going to say to them, I never knew you. There's the danger again and again that we come to Jesus for the things that we want for ourselves rather than coming in prayer, seeking first his will, the things of his kingdom. The ten who came crying out to Jesus, nine go on their way. You might say, well, they had to go and see that they were healed before they would come back, and maybe they came back later. And you might think of John 9, where there's the man born blind, and Jesus prays with him, puts the mud on his eyes and sends him, and he goes before he comes back and grows in faith. But he wasn't healed until he washed. The nine that go on the way, the ten of them in total, they're healed as they go. They didn't have to go first and then come back. They could have responded to him at that point. They could have turned to him. I wonder what went on in their lives afterwards. Maybe they shared the story with their grandchildren. Oh, yes, there was that great healer years ago, and we went to him, and he gave us this gift. But they never come to Jesus. They receive this gift from him, but they never enter into life in him. The returning of thanks, the coming to the Lord himself, coming to that intimacy when he says of those who call Lord, Lord, but don't do his word, don't enter into that relationship, I never knew you. He says of his sheep, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. It's the intimacy of the relationship, our coming to be in him and to be with him. We're celebrating Harvest Thanksgiving. We're never to lose the fact that the word that comes to us, the Greek word to give thanks is Eucharisteo. And all of the Eucharist words are related to this business of giving thanks. And of course, the Eucharist, the Holy Eucharist, is one of the names that we give to the Mass, the Holy Communion. We celebrate not just that God gives us a gift, but that the heart of this Eucharist is the Lord's complete giving of himself to the Father. And in the giving of himself to him, he gives himself to us likewise that we only really enter into that Eucharistic gift when we come and give ourselves to him, meet him in this place, return thanks, not just say thanks, but return that thanks, put things back in his hands. Freely you've received, freely give, freely use that. Some of you will remember me talking before about an old colleague of mine who used to warn around Thanksgiving that, too many of us become thankful, and he would always spell full with an, two L's, F-U-L-L, 
saying we get caught up with our blessings. We count our blessings, yes, but we're in danger of being like that Pharisee in the temple praying and saying, well, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. You know, I've got all these gifts. I do all these wonderful things. I'm particularly not like James out there. And you know what he's like or whatever. I just was worried he might be dozing off or something. (laughs) But the looking down at others rather than actually looking to God with the open heart. The calling is to be people of thanksgiving. We're blessed in order to be a blessing. We receive in order that we might freely give. We're not simply to receive from the Lord, but we are to receive Him. Again, we're never to forget that when we come in the Mass, that we don't just remember what Jesus did. We enter into that sacrifice. We meet Him in person, really and truly with us. So as that Samaritan returned to Jesus, so we come to lay ourselves at His feet. He meets us, He speaks to us, He touches us with His life, pours that out into us that we might, in turn, pour out His life, live out His life, enter into the fullness of life eternal in Him. Eucharist, the word itself, the U, E-U in, in Greek is always good or, or well. And the charis part Well, charis is grace. It's that favor. You remember the Blessed Virgin Mary was hailed as full of grace, karatao. The one who was blessed by God. Yes, but also in her we see the perfect response of thanksgiving, the good giving of that back in return to the Lord. What she has received, she puts everything back in his hand that she might body and heart, mind and spirit be his own. In that she anticipates the perfect gift of Eucharist that is her son, that we're called into in him. So as we celebrate on this day, a day of thanksgiving, we remember that while probably none of us has suffered from the disease of leprosy, and God willing, none of us will, We all have known the effects in the spirit of the separation of sin that separates us from one another, that separates us from God, that puts us at odds even with ourselves. And we know that by grace our Lord has cleansed us, has healed us, has saved us in his name. As he pours out that life to us, let's enter into it. Let's grow up within it and share that life that he gives, that he might be truly and completely glorified in and through our lives. And this is salvation, not just a gift from him, but life eternal in him. This is eternal life that they know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, our Lord's own words. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, has saved you.